Hello. Hi. Hey. Welcome to Platicast, an audio collage that's as processy, creative, intuitive, and messy as its creators. As queer Chicana traviesas, we're here to reclaim our voices, our process, and our coyote medicine, and we invite you to step out of the realm of the ordinary and take a deep dive into the mystery of what wants to be. Podcastlandia, this is Marta. Welcome back and thank you for joining Jeff and I as we review another episode in the Sandman series out on Netflix. In these episodes, you'll be hearing from Jeff, who has a long history and familiarity with the Sandman graphic novel series. You'll also be hearing from myself, who will be watching this show with fresh eyes. So gather around the virtual campfire as we dive into another episode of The Sandman. But Martha. What? Are we dreaming now? (laughs) So we're fresh after episode three. Any general impressions? It felt like a very full episode. Uh, episode two was really shockingly short. It felt so short. We were both somehow startled when it ended. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But this one felt like it was a good length, right? Uh, but I'm, I'm very confused. But if I feel like I should be confused, I think there's a lot of moving parts at this point. People have different motivations, and yeah, it, it, it's interesting how they're all moving along at the same time, and we're wondering how they're going to come together. So that's interesting. It, it, it was really neat to see a resolution with um, Ethel's character. The entire time with, with Ethel's character, I was really wondering if she was trying to work some kind of scam with her son. Mm-hmm. And that, that was interesting, I thought, to see her try, try to come around. And we also got to see um, Morpheus try to do something to actually help someone. Mm-hmm. So that, that was neat seeing... Um, yeah, just to see people come around. I think it's all. I, I was. I thought it was also interesting to see um, because Morpheus is such a, a straight man. It's interesting how we we had discussed Lucian being, um, you know, the person who will give the audience information, and now we have Matthew as a comic sidekick that's um, just really playing off the straight man in annoying ways Mm -hmm. that are hilarious because we're not the one being annoyed. So it's interesting, yeah, because there's, um, like Cain and Abel were kind of a a darkly um, humorous addition Mm -hmm. to what was going on. They were a nice counterbalance there. And now we have Matthew who, um, yeah, lightens it and also is trying to help the story move along. Um, so yeah, he, he's going to be an, a fun character, I think. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he shines, you know, what are his skills going to be? What are his strengths going to be? How is he going to be helpful or will he be more in the way? Right. Mm-hmm. We will see. 
how, how smart, how useful will his street smarts be in hell? Yeah. That's going to be interesting. So. Yeah. And I wonder if we get to find out who he was when he was human. Yeah. So, so far we've just had hints that, um, like, like he was given a drug strategy mm-hmm. for cutting the sand, cutting the magic sand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what, what's the street value of magic sand? Matthew would know. in the same thought about Ethel really not being able to trust her not knowing what her motivations were and so I I don't think I I don't think I was really clear on where she was until she handed her amulet over to her son and even then I was trying to figure out why she would sacrifice herself mm-hmm is it because she knew that she, her time was coming anyway? But that doesn't make sense because she had this amulet that could protect her from everything. And it's unclear to me if she believed that um, that Morpheus would would really be after her. Yeah, because that's what she was. That's what she knew, right? It didn't. It didn't seem like like she was especially afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know if we're supposed to believe it's a mother's love shining at the last moment if she really if, it, if that really was her, her her motivation um hoping her son would do the right thing which of course now it seems like he's uh it seems like he's really not on the way to do the right thing no the, the corinthian is all behind him so it's like yeah that's that's mm-hmm. not that does not speak well so he's got the ruby that john the son has the ruby and the amulet apparently he's, he's going to get the ruby right it must be hidden somewhere for for him to go make his wishes. Right. And he did say he modified it. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing is that Ethel kept saying, you don't need the ruby. You don't, she, Like she said that several times to him. Mm-hmm. You don't need the ruby. And I don't, like the feeling I was getting was that she was trying to tell, like she was really just wanting Morpheus to have this ruby back and just be done. Yeah. Done with this part of her past. And probably leave her son alone. I think it's interesting when um, when people play around with, with well-known characters, like um, when we have an origin story for a comic, like like Batman, mm-hmm. we see the origin story, and then we see a re-origin story mm-hmm. and a re-origin story, and they've done that with Spider-Man too. So um, you get to see the character recreated to fit whichever particular retelling they have. And I thought it was really interesting to see this this version of Constantine, who is very much the Constantine we're used to, but um, but just different enough to fit this story. It's been so long since I read The Sandman, and because, yeah, Joanna Constantine is very much John Constantine, mm. except she's a woman, and the 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 disastrous, like John Constantine, every, every time he tried to help someone when he was learning how to work magic, everybody died bad things happened. They, mm. they were doing magic just for fun. And so, yeah, that, that fits what we saw for her story. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly cannot remember um, if it was John Constantine in the original comics, if this is like, I don't know. But, but yeah, coming in, doing something dramatic, 
saving the day, but still kind of being this tragic hero and then disappearing mm -hmm. again. That's very much John Constantine. Mm. So she, she does fit that. So yeah, I, um, gosh, yeah, it's been so long. I just, I honestly can't remember if John Constantine was actually there making an appearance in the Sandman or not. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like, like she's just a, a retelling of John Constantine. Yeah. I found it so interesting how, you know, that first scene where she meets Morpheus mm -hmm. and they're, they're so opposite of each other. You know, they're wearing the same like button up coat thing, right? And it's tight around their bodies and hers is white and his is black and she's a woman and he's a man, you know, these opposites, right? But she's not, um, she's not somebody I would trust, which I find so interesting in this series, these two characters that are the least trustworthy are the ones wearing white. <laughs> That's true. Um, that's not normally how villains are represented in, in uh, shows or whatnot. In real life, totally different story. We'll, but... we'll just totally forget the uh, stormtroopers in Star Wars. Oh, but right, yeah, right, But yes, right. in general, yes. Black hats, white hats is the yes. old cowboy, cowboy code. Right. Yeah. Messing with your stereotypes. so much Catholicism mm -hmm. because I'm like, oh my God, you know, the, how much faith is put into words and symbols and objects in this episode, just the power of words, right? Enough to cast out a demon. Mm -hmm. If it's done in proper Latin. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's very interesting too, because like, um, when when DC did dabble into demons and devils and scary spooky stuff like that, there there always had to be some kind of qualifier to it, so that they could say they weren't promoting demons. And so I think mm. because Catholicism and ritualized magic and and like even some of the the, the trappings that you know suggestive of the, of the Golden Dawn and, and um, those kind of um, magicians, it's very Catholic based, mm -hmm. like like you just said, very very image based. There's the words. It's it's very much the powers that a priest has studied right. that the common people have to go to. So it, it's definitely acknowledging that hierarchy, but it, it's also mm -hmm. putting um, the church up at the top. Right. It's it, it, so so I think. It goes with a lot of the traditional folklore where it's like that the righteous can prevail over the scary mm -hmm. demons if they if they trust in whatever church system and, and Catholicism just work. I mean, they're the ones that are famous for exorcisms. So I think that's something that we've seen in D.C. It's like um, because, yeah, a lot of the like like John Constantine uses whatever ritual is appropriate because you can never have too many saviors. But. Catholicism, it always goes back to that. And be, it, it's fun to draw magic circles when you're illustrating comics. So visually, it's got a nice look. But, but I think it is kind of, kind of that thing, too. If, if we say that, like, you know, yes, the church is here saving the day, then we're less likely to be persecuted by um, people who are going to, like, burn our comics on the corners. Mm -hmm. And 
And um, so I think there's a little bit of that going on. And also it's just easy storytelling. And it's very much juxtapositioned in this episode where you see, you know, this girl's father conjuring up a demon and then this woman coming in to cast out this demon. Right. right? And so, and then being in the Catholic church and saying all, you know, everything in Latin and it's like bringing those two together, right? Catholicism and um, witchcraft or whatever, you know, and they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. They look exactly the same, and I, I like having them so close together in in this episode because they really just you can't tell them apart. If mm-hmm. you didn't know anything about either one, you would think they were the same thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that's fascinating when you start um, when you study magic and look at it historically. It, it's it's like a lot of the philosophies that. The, re- the reasons and the things that, that were behind what the priests were doing, it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. There's, there's not a definite line. There's everything is a gray area. And um, e- even the, um, oh, the angelic ma- magic is like mm-hmm. um, trying to summon angels to force them to do things for you, to find treasure. That was John Dee's favorite thing. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. trying to find buried treasure. And it's like, that's, in our in our more modern uh, stories, everyone's summoning demons to to bind them and make them do things. Right. But, but it's like, yeah, but back earlier on, it's like they were trying to do the same thing with angels. They were treating angels the same way. Right. So yeah, the lines are really messy. There, there's, yeah, the gray area is a great big smear. It, it's, uh, yeah, and it, it it it's interesting that you know like like there were there was a line here where she was um, saying something about like you know she wasn't she wasn't in a magic she was a good person mm-hmm. because Constantine's impression is that everyone Constantine has been involved with is has been greedy or reckless with magic and just ends up causing more destruction and more right. chaos and well yeah that's what the church has traditionally exactly. done. And it's interesting how when you look at it, it's like, yeah, I mean, they're they're dabblers, you know, and they can they can be beneficial in certain situations, mm-hmm. but they're riding the chaos that mm-hmm. they uh, they're just trying to stay on top of the wave. But um, but yeah, they're both dangerous. Both sides are dangerous. I, th- I think this episode, yeah, this episode did start with the uh, the the flashback slash dream that Constantine was having, a nice weird vision to a of a character you've never seen before to get to get you drawn in and mm-hmm. say what's happening. This is scary and weird. Yeah, and even it's something that I feel like um, it could completely go unmentioned for the rest of the series. Yeah, I th- I think. I think it's interesting because like the the first thing that we saw in this series was that magic does exist in this world mm-hmm. and there are the these greater than human beings there are these powers in the world existing you know alongside us and um yeah this was another example of how yeah magic does exist here and and even the person at the light the lamppost that mm-hmm. was telling Constantine that he's back, you know, yeah. and she's 
several hundred years old and she addressed him. She knew who he was when she <laughs> saw him and she called him my Lord. And it's like, yeah, there's, there's people out there doing their thing. Just people are people, you know, whether they're human or something else. And everybody's just trying to get by. And so Constantine's story was that she was living with her girlfriend and then just didn't come home one day. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the sand was left with the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And for humans who have possession of the sand, what is the benefit of that? Or what is the, the draw to it? Well, I think, I think it's an escape. I mean, it really did. Um, the scene really did echo like, like a junkie scene. Mm. You know, here's a person clutching this thing that gives you dreams and you just want to spend all your time in dreams. Yeah. So, yeah, I think in the show, it, 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 it kind of lets you wonder if possessing the sand and just dreaming all the time was what killed her mm -hmm. or was mm -hmm. there something else that killed her and then the sand was kind of like a way to use that i i, I don't think we know i don't think we yeah, saw but but the sand was actually able to help her pass when when morpheus like administered it he administered it yeah, yeah. brought brought her into a dream mm -hmm. and it seemed like he was making sure that it was a good dream yeah that's beautiful. So that, that her ending was was a nice one for her. Mm -hmm. All overseen by Matthew. Right. Who was not spying. Because if he was spying, you'd never see him. <laughs> yeah, such an interesting character. Um, yeah, I really am looking forward to, to seeing more of him. I like how inept he seems. He doesn't know how he got there. Mm -hmm. really why he's there what's going on he doesn't even exactly know who morpheus is mm -hmm. but he's going to do a good job yeah at whatever his vague job is i i, I love that dedication right you can be really dedicated and not know what what the hell you're dedicated to yeah. i love that right because he still keeps referring to lucian like we need mm -hmm. to talk, we need to really get her permission. We should really check in with her. Uh -huh. right? Really not understanding that that's kind of not the order that it goes in. Right. Yeah. Cause it seems like Matthew, like, like she's his boss cause mm -hmm. she sent him to watch this guy. Right. And so he's just with this guy. He doesn't really yeah. know who he is. And it's like, okay, whatever. Got a job to do. Yeah. I'm just supposed to watch you. That's enough. And as far as Morpheus goes, I am still finding it so interesting how he mostly seems like he doesn't care, but there are lots of examples of him caring. There are. Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting that he just does not have a grasp on human emotion and human attachment. Mm -hmm. And yet he... He has access to everyone's deepest desires and fears because he's dream. But that, yeah, that so it's interesting that he just doesn't have that attachment. And it was wonderful when he asked Constantine, "Why, why do humans, why, why do you like stuff?" Right. And she's and she told him, "Well, you're pretty attached to your things too." So yeah, I think that was a really valuable conversation. Just, just, and just being in her presence, just seeing the emotion and, and mm -hmm. the turmoil that that human emotion can bring. Right. And his own, right? The fact that he doesn't 
want another raven. Yeah, he feels responsible mm -hmm. because this this raven died trying to help him, and it, it's interesting that he can be so detached in some ways. But yes, he does he does have connections there. It does, right. It's important to realize that you are part of the picture, right? And to realize what you can and can't do, and that's the stoic thing: is you don't worry about imaginary things. You you deal with things when they become real. And Morpheus, I think, is like so used to being outside. You know, he can shape dreams. He can he he moves in dreams. That sets right. how he he deals with that. But it's it's largely kind of this voyeuristic, um, just standing on the, on the sideline, you know, unseen, watching what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's very interesting because that seems to be his um, his default is just to stand there and like you know if he doesn't. A lot of times, someone will ask him a question, he won't he won't bother to answer. It's like he's used to just not. He doesn't have to answer to anyone. He does. Yeah. He's he's just kind of doing his thing. But um, but yeah, it's interesting. He's got like Matthew is going to force interaction, right? Because he's chatty and argumentative and doesn't do what he's told. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that that's that's going to be an, an interesting play. Yeah, I don't I don't know. We didn't get to know Jessamine long enough to know if they were chatty or not. I don't know if we ever heard Jessamine say anything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out the the white coloring on Jessamine. That still confuses yeah, me. Yeah, I was looking it up today, and I was looking up magpie, and I'm like, okay, well, the magpie's got, like, white on their back. But Jessamine had, like, white in her chest, and there's something called an African crow hmm. who has similar markings. Okay. So... Is that more of their multiculturalism, their... Um... Changing characters just a little bit. <laughs> Maybe, but, you know, Raven or Crow, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they don't like to be interchanged in that way. Well, it's interesting when, when the very first thing we saw in the in this series was we were following a Raven. Yes. And I think it was a, what the Raven I'm used to seeing, which is solid black. Mm -hmm. But then when we saw the close-up, yeah, there was the white breast. And I don't... I, yeah, that throws me. And I'm wondering, I'm feeling like, is this something that I'm just really, is this some obvious thing? Do we have a clue? Am I missing this? Am I not yeah. remembering it from? Oh, I don't know. It's a bugaboo. I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Well, and there's white ravens. <laughs> I don't know if they're albino or if they're white, but I think they're white. I don't think they're albino. John, the son, is bad news, apparently. And I swear, I, this this uh, show so far has me not quite being able to know anything. Because one moment, you know, I get the first impression, but then it's wrong. Because when I first saw John, he looked like this very helpless person. Helpless, mm -hmm. powerless, almost meek person. But pretty bad news, it seems. So it seems. It seems like, and yeah, like like we didn't see him in a position where he really had any power. I mean, he's been locked up and mm -hmm. re reading apparently since he murdered those people. Um, and yeah, now now he's got his his mother's medallion, so he he can basically go wherever he wants, can't be harmed. And uh, yeah, he wants to 
get rid of dream, which is Corinthian's dream. It's just, it's fascinating to me because he kept trying to give the amulet back, you know, like a traditional uh, villain character will, will get the thing at any cost, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. John is trying to give this amulet back to his mother, telling her that, no, she needs to keep it. Which was really funny because up until that moment, um, until we saw what was happening to her because she removed mm -hmm. the amulet, I still wondered if like, if, if she was scamming him, if mm -hmm. he might try to kill her. I really had no idea right. where their relationship was going because yeah. yeah neither one of them seemed particularly trustworthy and it's like mm. i don't know i think somebody's working with somebody and then it turned out no they were actually being honest with each other wow that was weird that was a surprise yeah but as soon as he got the amulet and his mom died it was like he became a different person but not an incredibly you know uh, drastically different person he still seemed very much his self but now, I don't know. There was there was a difference in him. Well, I think he want like he had told his mother what he wanted to do. He wanted right. to use it to make a wish that Dream wasn't around. Yeah. And so now, well, his mother's gone, and apparently all the doors are open to him. So now he can go act out his uh his desire. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's. Um, I think he's got direction now in his kind of shuffly way. Yeah, we will see what happens because that's that's a yeah. I I can't I can't put all my money down on any one character at this point, really, just yet. Yeah, and there's always that um, that fun writer's trick of redemption where mm -hmm. you don't know when someone's going to have a change of heart. So that keeps you guessing too. Mm -hmm. In that first episode, did we see the father die? Yeah, whacked in the head with a cane. Yeah, and all the blood, there was a lot of blood on the floor. And it looked like he died because John was like, saying that he didn't think that his father was dead which is interesting because his father was really fucking old mm -hmm. you know unless he's working some kind of magic that keeps him just that age forever i don't know but well i mean he did live quite a long time because he had mm -hmm. the, um yeah the devices the magical tools yeah so he 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 was alive much longer than he should have been because yeah he was old when he started and then he got the the tools but um, and th then again, yeah, John's been locked up, mm -hmm. and he's just putting pieces together, right? Like it was all guesswork that he figured out who he was. So it's like, yeah, I mean, there wasn't, um, and I don't even know how a, a weird cult goes about reporting that their leader got bludgeoned to death in the basement. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, I don't know how they cover that kind of stuff up. So yeah, um, yeah, John was just putting things together the best he could so it's like yeah mm. it's it yeah i don't know what kind of like references he had so mm -hmm. yeah. and and did edith say somebody was they were after her and that's why she had to sell some of the items someone after them i i didn't catch that because they kept moving and changing names and changing locations and... i i thought that 
her son was saying it was because she basically lied and just was always working scams and stuff and had terrible boyfriends. And, and so yeah, they that had was, to keep getting out of, out of those situations. Yeah, that was there too. But I got the impression, I thought I heard her say something about in the very beginning that they were being, um, you know, sought after and she had to get rid of the stuff. Mm. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Towards the end there, we got to see that John and uh, Corinthian mm -hmm. meet up. Yeah, it seems like Corinthian's just kind of like watching. You know, let John do what he does, but uh, he's doing exactly what Corinthian wants. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's interesting that he just happened to show up and give him a coat. So it's like, yeah, yeah so he's got a guardian nightmare. Well, you figure he knows more information now. Corinthian has more information now than he did before he met Ethel. And so now there's more strategy, right? At least that's my impression. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because he's been um, causing problems and things. But yeah, he does have a bigger plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, now he's got this one important piece that's moving across the board. So yeah, he can just lurk and like pop up at, at crazy moments, you know, like good villains do. like to know if you would like to talk about tools, the use of tools as an extension of the self. Um, well, humanity's first tool is it's, is our hands. That's what we use to change the world around us to our will, to manifest our will. And then anything we hold in our hands is a tool that also helps shape the world to the way we want it. Mm -hmm. um, was there some particular angle well i was thinking want? about yeah episode two where um dream just didn't know he said i think he said he didn't know who he was without his tools mm -hmm. right and you had mentioned something about when we work with tools how much of ourselves we put into them yeah and, and of course in in this story he literally put himself into those mm -hmm. the, they they are his power, they are him. That's the kind of, um, again, more of that blurry line thing with, with the endless. It's like they are the personification of whatever realm, whatever kingdom, they they preside over. But also, it's like, yeah, his tools are. He's put his power into these these physical um, trappings mm -hmm. that allow him to. He's extended himself. He he separated that essence of himself into these these other things. Instead instead of just being part of him and being able to do it himself, he's created these tools to help him. And um, yeah, like and and humans, we all have our sacred tools. You know, whether it's your cauldron or your your pencil, and you're an artist, or your you know your old typewriter that you bang away on. Whatever you've got, we we've got tools that become very sacred as they're um they're part of how we express ourselves and how we tune in to mm -hmm. we make connection to bigger things and so yeah tools are very personal very important and yeah his were actually made of his essence so yeah um that that really boosts that farther so um like i i remember the revelation in the comic books that he had and i, I I'm interested to see how that how that works into the story too. 
mm. um, that, that we're watching now. So that was episode three. And next time we'll go into four and see. Uh, oh, right. They're going to hell. Mm -hmm. That's going to be, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there was a, a wonderful story arc um, where Morpheus ends up with the key to, to hell. And I wonder if they're going to like, kind of mix in any of the cool scenes or cool lines mm -hmm. from that in uh what what they're working this strip to hell in because there's like an amazing line in 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 that story arc and i, I don't know i just wonder if they're like going to try to like squeeze it in here just because it's cool yeah um but yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see Thank you for joining us as we review another episode of the Sandman series. If you'd like to continue the journey with us, subscribe to the podcast so you can stay in the loop of new episodes when they're released. If you'd like to check out Jeff's work, you can find him at jeffworks.com. That's J-E-F-F-W-E-R-X.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, please go to our channel on Anchor. You can find us at Platicast. That's P-L-A-T-I-C-A-S-T and click the message icon. Or you can find the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, or if you'd like to share your thoughts, hop on over to our website at platicas.com. That's P-L-A-T-I-C-A-S-T dot com. Or send us an email, platicas at gmail dot com. But Martha. What? Are we dreaming now?